Hello and welcome to Sustainability is Sexy, the podcast where we talk about all things sustainable from regenerative agriculture, alternative to single-use plastic, and everything in between. I'm your host, Liz Murphy, and each episode I will talk to leaders in the sustainability space to provide insights, innovation, and inspiration for all of us to create a healthier planet. Today, I'm joined by Matthew Clough, founder of Plastic Beach, a local nonprofit providing plastic film recycling for businesses and residents in Southern California. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me, Liz. I'm super excited to talk to you today um, because anyone that knows me or knows sustainability is sexy, they know that, of course, our entire mission and ethos is around zero waste um, and diversion, waste sorting, all these things. And what you guys are doing at Plastic Beach is obviously an integral part of the community's ability to divert hard to recycle plastic. Um, so I'm super excited to get into it today. Um, so thank you so much for being here. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, I love the idea of uh, stress testing you by bringing something as super unsexy as plastic bag recycling. <laughs> Leave it to us to make all sustainability <laughs> sexy. That's our job. Uh, so before we jump into Plastic Beach and everything that you guys are about, I, I always like to learn a little bit about someone's background. Uh, it it kind of gives us some insight into what drew you to starting something like this. So just give us a brief introduction to who you are and, and what you were doing before you decided to start Plastic Beach. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so my background is I'm from the UK. I moved out to the US about 20 years ago. Uh, and I was a full-time at-home dad for uh, two babies. And I uh, went to night school and became a paramedic parallel to all of that. And then, as any parent knows, when the youngest goes off to junior high, you suddenly get loft- left with a ton of time. Uh, by that period, I'd... Uh, I'd walked away from the uh, EMS, so uh, I was a full-time uh, parent at that point. And uh, so I just sort of started looking for jobs. And again, as any parent will know, it's it could be pretty grim out there. So I ended up t- towards the bottom of the barrel uh, of the jobs, and I ended up in a uh, motorcycle uh, a warehouse store in Oceanside. And uh, whilst I was there... This was in about 2018. It coincided with uh, China's announcement of uh, Operation Sword, which was uh, that they were basically uh, stopping to accept the world's recycling. Uh, They didn't want to be the world's trash and recycling handler anymore. And at the time, I was sort of very worried uh, because I knew that uh, historically America and and also a lot of the other sort of – First world countries, uh, had, uh, not got a big track, not got a good track record of, of looking after their own sort of recycling and stuff. So I was, my desk was, was right next to where the shipping and receiving person worked. And uh, I saw the huge amount of plastic bags that's just part of what I call the supply chain of any business. So if you buy a piece of clothing, uh, if it's above a certain quality point, uh, it's going to come wrapped in a plastic bag. Uh, and it's the same with, it's the same with tires, equipment, whatever. So I, at the time, thought the plastic bags were a lot more recyclable than they were. And I knew that they were recyclable because they all have the recycling symbol on to the main. Um, so I just decided to start up a, a little informal collection at work. You know, my boss sort of turned a blind eye to it. I just put a container one foot nearer than the trash can to the guy doing the shipping receiving to make it as easy as possible. And um, I 
started my journey and just, you know, I started off with just bagging it up and taking it to the local Lowe's. Uh, very quickly, they uh, put a halt to that because I was bringing in too much. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I truly had to start working to find out, you know, where this stuff could go. Yeah. And taking it back a little bit more, I mean, our listeners have probably figured out already that you're not originally from this area. Um, so just a question about, you know, you said that it had worried you to see the amount of plastic waste, especially after hearing about um, China's uh, adjustments to acceptance. Did you grow up in a home or in an environment that was concerned about the environmental crisis? Were you aware of it? Or what kind of drew you towards towards that? Like, is that something that you learned, uh, you know, in your adulthood, once you had kids? Like, what? when did you start to kind of learn more about that? Definitely an adult evolution. Uh, I think any of us who grew up in the 70s, uh, recycling wasn't really a thing. Uh, I was brought up not to throw litter on the street and to throw stuff away, you know, in, you know, in a bin, trash can. Uh, but... It, there was never sort of any real focus on like recycling per se. Uh, and I think it's more a reflection of my pragmatism as a, and training from being a paramedic uh, to try and deal with the situation that you see in front of you. And that's what you're trained as a paramedic. You're trained to, here's the training that we think you're going to need for what you're going to encounter, but everything is going to be, everything's going to be different. And then you need to have the ability and the, and the elasticity to be able to, uh, cope with situations that aren't what you want and what, what are predictable. And, and that's what led me to, to get involved with the whole recycling thing. Cause I, I saw that, uh, as a, as a country in general, we only recycle 7% of the easy stuff to recycle. Uh, and my, my kids are, in their early adulthood now they're you know they're 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 in their early 20s now and i just felt well i just want to see if i can move the needle even the tiniest bit because if i can show that i can move it then hopefully i can inspire other people to know that yes it is movable and that maybe we can actually do something about it my my biggest fear and i think this equates to uh, what's happening in the, in the global uh, climate change uh, discussions is that we're entering this moment of deer in the headlights and soon we're going to do this pivot from it's not happening to it's happening, but we can manage it to, oh my God, it's too much. We're doomed. We're not going to do anything. So I feel it's really important for my generation and those of us in this time scale right now to be able to do something and just to show that something can be done or not, you know, I'm willing, I'm just willing to push on yeah, it. But and we've got to try. I think that's kind of where a lot of us in this space end up being is like, we, I know that I've waffled between those feelings of despair when looking at the climate crisis as a whole, um, then figuring out what can, what part can I do or can my community do to move that needle ever so slightly um, to make myself feel like I can't do it any other way. And I think it sounds like you're, very similar. Like if there's something you figure out that you can do, it's really important that we do it. Right. And so let's do a little bit of education about film plastic in general, because I think that that is a very confusing as much of recycling is uh, part of the process. Um, There's a lot of wish cycling that happens 
all everywhere, you know, but I see it even here in what we consider to be kind of an eco-conscious community um, where people don't really realize what is curbside recyclable, what is recyclable to drop off, all these things. And I think a lot of us have seen or even taken our plastic bags or plastic film to places like Lowe's, like you mentioned, or the grocery stores sometimes have a bring back for your your plastic bags and things like that. Um, But just similar to our curbside recycling, once we put it into a bin of any kind, we don't know what happens to it after that. You know, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind, uh, which is one of the issues that have gotten us into this um, mess in the first place when it comes to our waste yep. um, as a species. And so what if some, let's say for some example, someone is taking their plastic to Lowe's. Do you know what is happening to that plastic? So I want to take a, a step back first of all. Mm-hmm. So first of all, you cannot put your uh Soft plastic, so plastic bags, bubble wrap, Amazon envelopes, all of that, it absolutely cannot go into your blue curbside bin. This is, this is a fundamental core recycling that a lot of people, a lot of people that I've talked to, they still do. People that yes. would describe themselves as recyclers, environmental. Yeah. Uh, Say it louder. That right. Is, Cause we see yes. that we see the recycling symbol on that plastic bag. And we look at our blue bin with the recycling symbol and we throw it in. Often casing, we actually know that we can't put it in there, but we're handing it over to someone else to deal with, uh, which again is a fundamental flaw that we as humans have. Um, and not only will it, you know, it's not the proper recycling uh, stream, it also is, it's one of the products out of many that are incorrectly curbside recycled that can cause major issues and dangerous situations for people at the facilities in the industry. So for example, with the plastic film um, that can get stuck in the machinery, causing it to break down or break, meaning that individuals, human hands have to get into that complex machinery and it can be dangerous. So it's very important that plastic film um, or soft plastics stay out of our curbside bins. Right. And uh, just to that note, and, and then I'll answer the rest of the question. I, I'm very disappointed, I have to say, with municipal uh, trash collections and our government. Uh, we'll happily run out and buy a Apple 15. We'll talk about, we'll talk about Androids. We'll talk about robotic solutions to everything. But we, but we come down to the most medieval of excuses about why we can't recycle a plastic bag because we're saying, oh, it doesn't fit in with our, with our uh, conveyor belt structure. Well, we, you know, we're building stuff that, to go to Mars. We're, we're, you know, we're building these very, very sort of, you know, sophisticated technologies. Why can't we do something and progress a, a past this very medieval hand sorting and basic robot sorting, uh, where we're saying something as ridiculous as a plastic bag, uh, you know, can ruin things. When I was in the UK, uh, uh, the, the local rail companies used to get in trouble all the time for like stopping trains. And w- one winter, there was a particularly funny one. It was, uh, it was the, uh, there were leaves on the track. And then another one, there was, it was the wrong sort of snow. And it's such basic sort of, you know, basic sort of low tech sort of, uh, obstacles that we, you know, we need to sort of get around. Um, uh, but to answer the question. So, um, uh, the, the plastic bags are uh, polyethylene and there's two types. There's low density, high density. So a high density would be sort of more the rigid sort of uh, reusable uh, grocery bag that you would get, grocery tote bag you get. And a low density would be, 
We've moved away from these now in most of grocery stores, but low density would be the typical produce bag, the very thin sort of flimsy stuff that um, that you'd use. Uh, most of the plastics, soft plastics in retail and anything associated with products in businesses, they tend to be, I'd say over 95% of them tend to be a polyethylene product, which means they are 100% recyclable if we can find the right stream for them to go into. Uh, those de- those streams do exist. We have some quite robust streams. Uh, the stream that we use uh, for Plastic Beach is uh, an American decking company called Trex, T-R-E-X. Uh, and they do quite a neat thing with it. They basically, uh, they process the plastic and then they mix it in with wood pulp and they form decking products, which are uh, impervious to to uh to rot they don't get infested with you know with bugs you don't have to repaint them a lot of them come you know with a a stock color uh so there is a downstream downstream being the technical term for where does my recycling go to to get reused so that so that's the that's the good news um and because i'm all about good news i'm just going to say the other good news is we can we can we can approach this it's as literally as simple as putting in uh, its own container and then putting pressure on our local cities to you know uh, address this stream as as its own stream and force these municipalities to adopt and be helped to adopt through funding grants etc the technology that we need you know to process it but yeah. in the meantime Plastic Beach is here to do the you know the the, the interims so you you know let's go back to the the genesis of the idea for you, you know, you saw all of this plastic accumulation um, at your motorcycle shop in Oceanside, you decided to start taking it to Lowe's, it was too much for Lowe's, the volume just from your own yeah. shop, correct? Yeah, correct. Which is a, <laughs> right. kind of a, a good, you can imagine just one shop is, right. is too much volume. Um, for An important for thing to understand location. is that in California, uh, the the stores that do have take back for the program uh, take back for plastics rather they're actually mandated to do it because they provide plastic bags to their to their uh, uh, to their customers which is why you'll find some grocery stores don't do a plastic bag take back because they only have uh, paper bags or or whatever so that's why come earth day every year you don't you do not see walmart vons lowe's even have a banner over the collection bin that they do have saying hey we recycled x amount of plastic bags this year blah blah which would be a real low-hanging fruit for them as a as a csr sort of like statement just to say look that we care about the environment too uh but Maybe some of your listeners have seen one of these signs at one of these big box stores. I certainly never have. Uh, yeah, I certainly never have either. And I, and you're right. I mean, I think I will say that I think the evolution of the sustainability departments and pieces of these very large corporations, I think that they're in the last few years, we're beginning to see kind of because it has become a trend and because it's be- so becoming more important to consumers. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised if we begin to see those types of things a little bit more c- consumer facing, right. um, kind of low yeah. hanging fruit type things. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I've seen those collection places for a while without much shout out to them existing, or, right. Right. you know, kind of the volume that they've been able right. to recycle. Um, so when you 
what what did you do when Lowe's no longer would accept the volume you were bringing? What was the next step? So uh, at that point, I basically just started looking to see what was around us in terms of who would take it. And uh, there was no one around us for, you know, uh, anywhere close to San Diego. Uh, And I eventually found a, a recycling company based down in Otay Mesa, right down on the border, that would that would take it, uh, and at the moment I'm talking about like twenty fifteen to twenty gallon bags full of plastic. So you know each bag would only weigh like five pounds, and so it was you know, and that was that was the big sort of evolution for me when I realised that that uh, I was not going to be able to use the existing infrastructure or the or the infrastructure I thought existed to feed the bags into, which would have been the, obviously the gold standard. It would be that absolute minimum footprint then for Plastic Beach as we started up because, the, you know, in my mind, there was already a system there. Uh, so at that point, I realized that uh, Plastic Beach was going to have to get its big boy trousers on and, and basically start up as a proper you know, recycling companies. So we got really lucky, like incredibly lucky. Uh, we got adopted by a, uh, it's a Carlsbad company. It just moved to Vistra actually, uh, called Gnarlywood. And they are a, uh, um, a merchandise company for the music industry predominantly. And, uh, they had a big warehouse. They had a big shipping yard. They even had a baler and they basically just, uh, our next door neighbor worked for them and he spoke to the CEO and I went and spoke to the CEO and they're like, he's like, Oh my God, I love your idea. Mikasa Sukasa, uh, said, you know, we have a shoe shipping yard. I got, I got a friend in, a, in a, who owns another recycling company to donate a 50 foot uh, shipping container as our, as our like storage. So we had no rent. Uh, they had a, uh, Baylor, which normally cost twenty thousand dollars, that they had on site, and they said we're not using it because we have too much cardboard. We, we, we which what they were using it for, uh, so they just went straight to a. They were just throwing that into a big like uh, roll off dumpster. Uh, so we got our start. We got a ba- we got a baler. We got free rent, and then once you get a baler pretty much all your initial problems are solved because you don't have to take it anywhere, and because now you're making these eight hundred pound bales. Uh, so then the, then it turned into, well, where do I take an 800 pound bale? Um, and again, at the time, there was a company called pre-zero up in, mm-hmm. up in Riverside and they were, they were being very innovative. They were the only California recycler, uh, of this material, certainly Southern California. Uh, and, uh, they're a European owned company and they'd set up to, they were processing it on site to make it back into the little plastic, Nurdles, they're like the little plastic balls, uh, which are sold back to plastic bag manufacturers, basically go full circle. So I reached out to them and they, timing again worked out great. It turned out this, uh, uh, their person running the sort of uh, local pickups team and everything was like, uh, relatively young, was like a sustainability graduate that, you know, they really wanted to sort of work with us as, as a, as a very, very young company and a non-profit to boot. And uh, so for the first, our first couple of batches, we would rent a stake bed truck and load on like 4,000 pounds, you know, so four to six bales and I'd drive up to Riverside and deliver them. And at that point, were you already collecting from more than just your original location? Yes. 
So, so our model always was, uh, we knew we were always going to have to, eventually we were going to have to pay rent. We were going to have to basically uh, maintain our equipment. We were going to have to pay people who, uh, my core philosophy is I want Plastic Beach to provide green jobs within the community. And also my core is that if I'm asking anyone to do anything that I classify as hazardous, which to me is driving and operating a baler, uh, I, I'm going to pay them. You know, if someone wants to volunteer and come and help out, that's great. But if, if I need a core position done, then I, I strongly feel that I want to model out how I feel that, you know, this should happen. So I want to pay them. So we basically just started reaching out into the community, just saying, Hey, look, you know, we, we know you've got a plastic problem. Um, we're here to, we're here to help you. We're here to be the, you know, we, we're the only regional help there is. And, uh, it's, it's been a nice journey. It's been, it's been slow, but steady. Uh, so our, fir- our very first, uh, company was, uh, this company, Nollywood. And not only, not only did they give us all of this infrastructure, then they actually gave us a monthly donation of $400 as well. Um, which at the time, because we had no outgoings, I was able to save that, uh, until a point where they actually moved. And then we had to rent and all of that, but we had the money then to actually take that on, which was awesome because, you know, it gave us that sort of insulation. But at the same time, we uh, reached out and uh, we made connections with some amazing uh, local players. Uh, Hanson's Encinitas saw the value of it straight away. Uh, same thing with uh, with Surfride, the surf store that they have. You know, there's a Slana Beach and then Oceanside. They have two branches uh, they both saw the, the value of it because they understood. And a lot of people listening probably don't understand that that upwards of 90% of a, a retail store's traditional trash is actually recyclable plastic bags. Uh, because if you're selling clothes, you get a big cardboard box full of clothes, each in their own individual plastic bag. And you think about how much uh, plastic is involved in like how big a wetsuit is. Uh, and we're not even talking the surf, the surfboards. You know, we don't really see that much plastic from the surfboards. Uh, it's mostly it's just from clothing. And uh, these companies are kicking out over 1200 pounds of plastic bags every year because we've been going for two years with those two companies and then we've just continued to build you know bing uh, bing surfboards uh, came on board uh, then we started to just uh i took a shotgun approach of just i just want to just throw throw the throw what we're doing out there and just see who wants to come along and we'll take whomever um and uh, so we signed up a uh Big, a big biomed company called, uh, Genomatica down in, uh, uh, down in San Diego. Uh, and then small, a small warehouse up in, uh, Oceanside called ZRG Medical. And then, and then now I'm really pleased to announce that we've just got Jimbo's. They signed on and we're, ne- we're now going to be recycling all the Jimbo's plastic. Uh, that's amazing. Which it is, isn't it? And it's, and not only that, but we've just signed on, uh, a huge, one of our first, actually our first international company, uh, Gilead, which is uh, a huge pharmaceutical company. So, and we and now we've we've sort of uh, uh, we, we've sort of cracked the seal, I think, on the bi- on the biotech because we've we, we, we've we've got a glimpse now because we were working with Genomatica for like two years, 
how much plastic they have just in the just in the red in just the processes that they run through every day um and now we in this really exciting position where these different biotechs are actually referring each other to us um which is a bit scary for us because we've done everything on a shoestring up till now and this is going to require you know a big uptick in sort of you know in in sort of revenue and you know and aspirationally we're just going to we're just going to do it i know we can do it uh is you know as as worrying as it is, I know we can get past it all. Uh, and some of these companies are really you know they they see the value of what we're doing, and they've never had someone offer this before, which yeah, it's pretty sad. But it's great for us that we can be doing that. Yeah, that's that's really incredible. And one one thing I really like about all of the businesses that you just examples are, are that they are, of course, all retail in some capacity. And I think anyone that's worked in a retail space owns a retail business. Are, is has at least a semblance of an awareness of the amount of film plastic right. waste that is generated um, at these businesses. But everything that you mentioned, they are from different pieces of those industry. There was yeah. a grocery store, there were surf yeah. shops, there's biotech, like all these different pieces. So yeah. it, it's a vein that's running through everywhere. And, and it's, it's not just businesses, right? Like I'm on a personal level from a residential level, like the amount of plastic film waste as somebody that considers themselves to be very eco-conscious and does my best. I do my best to avoid it. I still see a lot of it running through my own daily life. Um, so do you, do you want to pivot really quick to some exciting news? I do. But, but so before, before I pivot though, yeah. I, I, I did, I do realize I did actually fully answer your question about the retail stores. <laughs> so I cannot answer definitively about what happens to their plastic. I do know that there were a couple of news articles out. Uh, I think there were a couple of months ago where people had dropped Apple air tags into various of these collections and the plastic had ended up either in incineration facilities or it ended up in landfill. Uh, so, I can speak to where our stuff goes because our stuff has a document trail running through two treks. Uh, so we could, so I know that our stuff is actually going, going two treks. Uh, and I know what they make from it. In this series, we are talking to local sustainable business owners and organizations to highlight tangible resources within our community. Are you a local sustainable business or do you know someone we should be talking to? Email us at sustainabilityissexythepodcast at gmail.com. So the... We've covered the businesses, so we're offering businesses it, but we do know that residents have a, have a lot of plastic and, uh, a lot of them, they want to know that it's going, it's actually going somewhere and it's not going into this just very gray area of, well, I'm going to like sort of grit my teeth and put it in this collection at the grocery store, yeah. hoping it's going to go. Which is the reason that I was wondering if you had any insight right. into that is because it is kind of a black box. Yeah. So yeah. knowing yeah. that there are resources coming into play that, where it's always for me, and I think a lot of people in our community that are beginning to be a little bit more aware of all of these issues and ways that they can make a, their own personal impact, is that it's very important to see the full lifespan of something Correct. from Correct. where it's coming. Yeah. Because I think there's a lot of emphasis, of course, on like where are these products being made, what is used, the materials being made, where is it being sourced, all this stuff. But once we purchase it and then have to find a place for it to go, there's not a lot of information. Correct. Um, and so this is, again, right. why it's very exciting to have a right. local organization 
where we can see and be aware of the full downstream process. Yeah. And then, so I'm really pleased to now on that, on, on that aspect that we're actually, we're actually pioneering California's very first curbside collection for residential plastic. Uh, we're actually, uh, we're already serving businesses in the community. So we've already got the carbon footprint for our collections. So now it just makes sense for us to, uh, flesh out the areas around those collections. So, uh, we're going to have a sign up sheet on our website, which we'll get details of that later. Uh, and then basically we're, we're just going to look at people, how many, what interest there is in the community to have a curbside collection. Uh, the curbside collection itself is, is, is very neat and it's based on our core, our core value is circularity. So we want to be able to uh, minimize the introduction of materials into our process. Uh, we used a compressed natural gas van so we can have the lowest footprint we can maintain at the moment until aspirationally we get to an EV van. So that's what we're pushing to with that one. Uh, with our collection, uh, collections itself, uh, for the larger collections, we utilize these things called bulk bags. They're basically grain bags that come from the breweries we serve. So shout out to Pizza Port and Pure Project Brewing. Um, these bags are, these bags are awesome. They're like these giant four foot cubes. Uh, we, they're really good for us because we can basically close the tops and then stack them in the van. So it, it it's really good for us. Uh, they also have another type of, uh, bag, which is a 55 pound bag. Uh, and we have actually realized that that makes a great collection, uh, a great residential curbside collection bag. So all we do is we, we have a seamstress that basically, uh, sews like a flap into the top, like the old school laundry bags. So mid, so again, that's another job, you know, we're creating within the community. And then we get to use these bags that otherwise are actually really hard to recycle because they're a number five plastic. And if you thought number four was hard, then man, you haven't met number five yet. And the worst one's number seven, but you know, number five's terrible. Uh, so we give this, uh, this bag an extra life. And, uh, the idea is we're coming in price point at the minimum that you're going to get charged by Uber Eats, which is $14. So we figure if you buy a smoothie from Carl's Jr. and have it delivered to your door, then hopefully, you know, a, a, a bag of plastic to be picked up from your curbside once a month, you know, holds that same value. So that's, yeah. uh, that's our sales pitch. That is, that is so <laughs> exciting because, you know, I've seen the drop-off locations for Plastic Beach at, at a few uh, you know, businesses around town, yeah. which I always get super excited. Yeah. It's like all of these amazing local organizations that are providing these pickups, not just for like Plastic Beach, shout out to um, San Diego Brew Cycling for yep. collecting that hard to recycle, you know, um, pack tech plastic off of our beverage containers and all these different things. I just get really giddy when I'm in a local shop or like for example coming soon to jimbo's that kind of stuff it yeah. just it, it makes me very very happy and our relationships with them like uh, again shout out to the mighty bin and our newest uh, partner local scoop here in encinitas uh it's it's really good because uh these zero way these zero way stores there uh, i realized quite early that they'd be a they're a perfect uh, businesses for us to al align with because they, although they're zero waste to the customer leaving the store, they still get encumbered with the plastic uh, on the receiving, shipping and receiving it's, side. It's because really unavoidable. It, it, it is. And I want, and I know, I know there's a lot of purists out there who take this evangelical approach to plastic. 
that it's all evil and it all should go away. And and I want to speak to that and that plastic has tremendous utility. And as a paramedic, I can tell you, you're not getting your life saved if there's no plastic involved. And, you know, all of the disposables come wrapped in plastic. Your oxygen mask is made of plastic. It comes in a plastic bag. The IV tubing is plastic, comes in a plastic bag. The plastic bag itself has such utility because certainly now in the machine sorting world that we live in, uh, it's a, you know a clear plastic bag. You can see the item inside. So for stock checks, it's, it's easier. You can see the color. You can see the size label. All of that. The bag itself can be can be can be uh, manipulated by by a robot. And meanwhile, it keeps what's in the bag, it keeps it safe, it keeps it clean, it keeps it folded, which is all what we want as consumers. Uh, So it's out there. And our approach is we want to be pragmatic. We want to offer recycling pathway to the material that's out there. But on the same time, we really, really hope that industry will pivot and be forced to pivot by us consumers, but also by government two more sustainable things like a biodegradable or truly compostable bag that can take that can take over from them um they're in their they're very much in their infancy now they they are not the solution that we're being told that they are um for the compostable and biodegradable bags it's very important to know that in order for them to actually break down they have to go through this system called high heat anaerobic digestion. These, this is not a throw it in your back garden, cover it with some cabbage leaves. This is running, this is a $5 million plus machine that our local trash company must have. And again, I feel it's shifting this burden from, you know, from to somewhere else you know, in inverted commas. And and we know once we see as humans, unfortunately, we see, oh, it's compostable. I'm clear. My conscience is clear now. We can, you know, we can throw it away. Uh, so we do have work to do. And our, and our whole hope is we just want to model solutions for dealing what we have in front of us until we no longer have to deal with it because we've come up with something else. So, you know, if you're on the fence about plastic and, and you know, and you're like, well, I don't want to support an organization that is involved in plastic. I really want you to know that our mission statement is really planned obsolescence. You know, uh, I'm in my mid fifties. I don't want to be doing this, you know, into my sixties. I'd be really happy if we can model out a solution that the municipalities take off us in the next five years and then running parallel to all of that. Technologically, we come out with a safe downstream bag that can biodegrade properly, and then this is no longer an issue. Yes, yes, and I think you know you're—it's something that we run into a lot. Um, you know, as these innovations come down the pipeline for finding solutions to a lot of um, you know the catalysts for the climate crisis, plastic pollution um, being a large piece of that. You know, we see these biodegradable options as consumers sitting on the shelves and it can be incredibly confusing. We've talked about it a lot on this podcast because that's a space where I personally live a lot and, and, and give a lot of, um, try to keep up with everything, but it can be incredibly confusing. So, um, you know, that I'm really glad that you mentioned that, like it's no matter where you're listening to this, I'm sure that you've seen compostable bags, cups, cutlery, all the things that are coming onto, um, the market these days and just kind of not putting that same, wish cycle or out of sight, out of mind 
mentality towards these products that we've done in the past with everything else, I think is one of the most important pieces. Uh, you know, making sure that you're aware that wherever you are, you can contact your um, hauler, your municipality to find out what they actually have. Will those bags be processed properly or do you need to find another solution for them or not buy them until there is a solution available. Right. Um, so yeah, so that was a, a really, really great mention. So one thing I want to make sure we talk about really quick is you had mentioned for residents that there will be a, like an information sign up interest sheet yes. on the website. Um, so we'll make sure is when we get that link that will be posted uh, in the bio of the uh, podcast, of course, for anyone to utilize that. But as far as businesses go, um, if they're interested in signing up um, on the back end, what, what's what's the best step? So the same uh, the same link will take you to our programs list, which will give which will uh, which will cover the residential and uh, and businesses. Um, one thing I want to make really clear because this because I've had some really odd conversations about plastic uh there's this huge misconception that if you're in the recycling in the industry that whatever you're recycling has such tremendous worth that you can build a whole company around just collecting it uh i've had conversations where people businesses have said oh yeah we have a huge amount of plastic we'd love to be part of this and then i'm like absolutely that's great i just want to be i just want to be really open that, that you know we do require some sort of donation or sort of uh service fee for us to be able to process this because again as i said you know we, we're creating these green job opportunities in our community you know uh, our minimum wage for a company is 20 dollars. so we want to come in again at the point where uh i'm i'm giving some sort of financial security to anyone anyone that we're hiring i don't want to be doing this at minimum wage or just you know keeping it really low so i want to be supporting uh growth um so tip and typically what that looks as is is uh from like a hundred dollars a month for like a monthly collection of one of one sort of like curbside container uh, collection uh through to about four hundred dollars uh for uh a month oh it's a, a again a monthly fee and that's typically for a weekly collection but that's up to two to three hundred gallons of uh of plastic so that's one or two of these big uh cubic four foot bags that are that i'm that i mentioned earlier um and the that the, we arrived at that pricing because just like uber eats charges up 14 dollars for you know their minimum pickup or thereabouts uh, if you go to a private trash collector and, you know, you'll see these like junk haulage people on, you know, all over the place, uh, that a hundred dollars a pickup is sort of the, is sort of the going rate, which, uh, if you think about it, you know, you're covering a couple of hours of, you know, of work for someone you're covering the vehicle that's that doing the pickups in, you're covering the, you know, the fuel cost to, you know, to run it, uh, uh, and then you're covering all of the stuff that typically, if you don't run a business, you don't really think about. You know, we have, even as a tiny, tiny nonprofit, we have a really high workers' comp uh, payment, insurance payment that we have to pay. We've got liability, we've got rent, we've got everything else. And, and uh, oftentimes, and this, th- these are these are not really things I would think about until I started running this as a business. Uh, but I think it's important that, that as consumers, we're aware of these things in the back end. And I want to, I want to just say that it costs us about a dollar a pound of plastic to pick up. Uh, a pound would be your average, uh, 
uh, grocery tote bag absolutely stuffed as much as you could put in there is usually about a, is usually about about a pound well it costs us uh, it costs us a, a dollar just just to pick that up and uh, we when we sell it which is normally where the businesses get confused because they're saying well you're selling it so you know we can give it to you for free uh, we only sell it for 14 cents a pound so it, it, it you know even after all of that it's still costing us 80 you know 86 cents a pound uh and that's just in basic transport costs to pick it up. That's not involving all the back end costs that I spoke about before, like, you know, warehouse rental, warehouse equipment, you know, all of that. Yeah. And I'm really glad that you mentioned all of that and kind of gave a really in-depth description of everything that goes into, at least from a financial standpoint, everything that goes into the work that you guys are doing, because I do think that there is a misconception or this kind of um, idea about, especially nonprofit organizations specifically, um, you know, because- all, what a nonprofit is, is a, you know, a community benefiting and mission driven organization. Um, and it's still costing money for these services and it's, it's hauling trash away costs money for residents, for businesses. Um, you know, and this is just a part of that. Um, but I think really putting some numbers on that and giving people insight into what that looks like for you guys and the importance of supporting that. Um, if you, are a business and you are, and this is an important thing to you, which we've already kind of touched on the immense and massive amount of plastic waste created, especially in the retail industry. I'm also very excited to hear that there are so many businesses from different parts of the industry that have realized the value of what you are offering. Um, And I think that that speaks volumes um, to what you guys are doing um, and how important it is for businesses and residents um, to to really consider, um, you know, becoming a part of these programs, yeah. um, because it truly is the only available one, um, where it is not a black box, like dropping it off. Um, you know, if this is not something you're able to become a part of yet, continue to find other solutions like dropping them off at the free places. Absolutely. But as Matthew yeah. mentioned, it's, you know, you don't, we don't know where they're going. So being, right. it, there is a, a huge value um, in in knowing who is picking up your trash and where it is ending up. Um, And so that is, yeah, that's really amazing and really exciting. So we will put resources um, in the links of this podcast for anyone that's interested. And you can of course reach out directly to plastic beach um, with any questions. Um, So before we uh, wrap up this awesome episode, I'm just having a blast. (laughs) I'm learning so much. Um, This is something I ask everyone that's on the podcast. So it's, it's a very important, important piece um do you have a favorite sustainable product or practice that you can share with our listeners outside of collecting plastic film uh i i you know i really i really don't i don't really describe myself as until i did this i wouldn't really even put myself in the sustainability bucket uh Again, I just want to go back to the core values that were instilled to me in, in me as, you know, as a kid of just, just be aware of your environment in terms of don't, don't throw, you know, trash out. Just as simple as that. And I think, and that sounds an oversimplification, but I think actually if a lot of us just started there, you know, it, 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 it would help us, you know, all the way through the, you know, these other, other areas. Um, unfortunately, I think sustainability has some see it, some see it as a bad word now. And I, you know, which, which, which is, is saddening because I, because it shouldn't have any affiliation with, with any sort of like, you know, cultural 
strata or anything it, it should just be we're we're looking after the world that we we ourselves have to live in um i do want to say one thing to your listeners though um we are trying to crack this really really hard nut uh and that nut is our local malls uh, local malls are very, uh, a very, a very interesting ecosystem because the stores themselves are rather small, but they don't, and they don't have any of their own outside storage. So we've solved the, with, with, with our curbside pickup that we're doing for residents, we've solved the, the actual transfer of the plastic. Uh, issue so we could have like a little dumpster next to where the main dumpsters are at the malls and stuff like that the issue is that we need to reverse engineer it the mall management companies are very very all much all about making money and so what i would ask is if there are any of you that have any connections either work at mall stores especially anchor stores uh, may perhaps even own a, a mall anchor store uh, if you could think about your interest in what we're offering because again like i said upwards of 90 percent of your traditional trash is actually fully recyclable and at the moment it is just going to landfill uh, if this is something you are interested in maybe perhaps start the conversation with other mall st- mall store owners within your within your mall or even if you have contacts in other malls get that conversation started and if you would like to have a presentation where i come in and talk to maybe the mall association with the with, with the store owners as well uh about sort of what can be done uh, i've spoken to utc mall already uh they it's all it's always about the introduction of new costs but i do try and explain that f- the for retailers because the, the the lion's share of your trash is actually this recyclable material that actually if played right you could reduce the amount that you're paying on your trash fees uh, because again, the dumpster sizes can be reduced, the pickup frequency can be reduced. Uh, and the flip side is you can now start telling your consumers, Hey, we're the first people in California to be recycling this as a store, you know, as a chain. Uh, I think a lot of people do care about items like that. So if that's something you want to sort of help us with, that would be, you know, I warn you, it's an uphill battle, but. You know, if you're up for it, I'd love to have a conversation with you. And um, yeah, let's just we we can all do our we can all do our bit. And even if it's just advocacy, even if it's just talking about it, you know, shining a little bit of light on it. Sometimes that's that's all that we need. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. And and just a reminder, you know, you can always reach out to Sustainability is Sexy, and we can connect you with Matthew um, at any time if you have resources, questions, or anything about the programming or wanting to see it. Um, in your own business or businesses that you support. Um, so I'm just going to, I think we've covered an amazing amount of information. I know that I this has been one of my, the most insightful episodes for me personally. And I'm, I'm very excited to continue to see your organization grow, um, you know, from the sidelines and hopefully involved directly. Um, and just a huge thank you from me. And I'm sure everyone that's listening uh, for what you're doing, for your mission, for your dedication. And and yeah, so just a huge thank you. Well, right back at you. I got to say, sustainability is sexy, very catchy name, lovely idea. And again, this, I think community approach is, is you know, it, is what it takes. 
Yeah, so thank you so much for joining, Matthew. You can find more information on Instagram at It's Plastic Beach and online at www.plastic-beach.com. As always, all of the resources and brands mentioned on today's podcast will be linked for your reference. And until next time, I'm Liz Murphy, sending you sustainability love from San Diego. Sustainability is Sexy is a nonprofit organization located in San Diego, California, focused on inspiring and driving innovation within our community to create real change. Learn more at sustainabilityissexy.org and find out how you can be involved.